my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's been uh, it's been a minute. We're uh, just starting with duck season here in Missouri's North Zone. It is November third, and bringing you another episode here. What we're going to do today is kind of talk about what we've been doing since we talked last. A little bit of a duck season first part of duck season report and outlook, and go from there. Uh, we've had a couple questions that folks have asked. We're going to address a few of those and kind of see where it takes us. Ira, what's up? Oh, not much. It's hot. 80, 82 degrees when I stepped out of my truck a minute ago. And uh sure doesn't feel like hunting season, that's for a fact. Well, it's hot and dry, and I don't remember when, but Aaron, Aaron your brother Aaron, I know you said it too, but remember Aaron's Maggie Kennel. I remember Aaron saying one time, well, when, you, when your stuff looks the best, it seems like you have your worst years. It's like, yeah, because when your stuff looks best, it's dry all summer. You get badass food in the ground and coming up, and then you have no water. Yeah, if uh, if the season stayed like it did the first few days, I'd have plenty of ink left in my pen at the end of it, but it won't. Plenty of bullets left, except you're hunting woodcocks and shit. Well, yeah, heck yeah, you know me, I embrace everything. I I don't say no to anything. Every if anyone saw Ira's posts on, if anyone saw Ira's posts on uh, social media, you know that he was after the woodcock and the snipe hard this weekend. So that'll tell you a little bit about how duck season started. Hey, this has been a uh, uh, very good small game season, meaning uh, doves, rail, snipe, woodcock, uh, teal. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I like to shoot all wides. Those woodcock are only here for maybe maybe two weeks. So, it's cool, man. I haven't shot a limit of woodcock in 30 years. I would say you're probably um, – the rest of the population of the United States could echo that statement. Uh, did uh so yeah if you got you heard it here first if you guys are interested in getting after some woodcock uh the outdoor kind it you best get out there and get rolling because it's it's going to be here the rut is on as they say in deer hunting world. <laughs> um so give us a little bit of a duck report ira i'll go ahead and say we've this is one of the things we we're asked about was a duck report i'll go ahead and start off by saying i have not been duck hunting um i've been deer hunting it's been equally as terrible for the most part um but my my uh my two sentence synopsis is there's not too many ducks around and I haven't been. And what about you, Ira? I know you've been out. So what what have you seen? Uh, do you echo that or you got something to add? Oh, man. I mean, I think it's the least ducks I've ever seen here this time of year, you know, during duck season. Um, I talked to our refuge manager. He had the same sentiments that he'd never seen this few ducks this time of year. And, uh, you know, we had some su success. We, ki we killed a few ducks while I was up there Saturday. We hunted a little timber hole, hoping to get some mallards. And they didn't come. We shot some other stuff. And then Sunday we killed like 25. It was kind of a mixed bag. Um, had some better conditions than every day. You know, we've been shooting, I don't know, five or 10. I don't know. I think they got more than that yesterday. Aaron and them did, but, uh, but it's been pretty slow uh and that's you know, all right five or ten though i mean usually usually uh this you know i guess the seasons have been a little bit different here lately but the last i'm gonna say four years we've had a lot of ducks on the opener um 
man, Locust Grove to start with, I don't know what the numbers were, but I bet you guys, the, the hunts I've been on there early season, we've been close to full limits, damn near every hunt the last several years. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't know, just as chance would have it, you know, we, we get to change our our framework every five years. And so the five years previous to this one, the public sentiment was to open the season a week later than normal. And of course, during those five years, at least four out of the five, the ducks were early, like mid-October early and big numbers and quite a few mallards. This year, we went back to an earlier framework and uh, sure as heck, no water, no ducks and lots of heat. So, that's a, you know, that's the way it goes. That's a point on the switching seasons, though, and not that what I say is going to make any difference because I've filled out those conservation surveys till my hands fell off. But it's easy to say I told you so or that I agreed with it whenever we're having a slow start. But, the, you know, in these last three years, I would have been, you know, people, everyone laughed at my opinion. But um, I've always been of the type, which I like shooting mallards. I like going, uh, I like hunting. And, you know, that extra week will a lot of times give us colder weather and more ducks at the end of the season that are mallards and nothing else. And, and it'll give us a chance to get out and maybe – Seems to me like as a guy that hasn't always had an awesome spot to go, it's nice whenever the season pushes on a little bit later and colder, those mallards will venture out onto some bigger water or some dry fields. You got a better chance um, to get on them as the season wears on a little bit. They eat, you know, the the manager the managed farms out a little more. And it seems like <clears throat> it seems like when it gets late season, there's a bunch of mallards around. It can be really tough, but it can be really cool. And you know, when I was younger, that's how I, you know, I always remember it being like opening day was not bad. Wood duck, teal, some gadwall second day of season was slower and then it was slow till November 11th and it seemed like veterans day we always got a push and then we got a few pushes as we went so by the end of the year we were shooting the hell out of ducks or you know for, for ourselves you know killing a few and then it was over and we we're we we're goose hunting and there's ducks everywhere so I've just always been of the, of the thought that I prefer a a season that started damn sure in November but like I like when the season would start like November 4th and run on into January, like that was a sweet spot for me, evidently. And obviously I'm in the minority, but I think this year, obviously that'll be a little bit more the case, but it'll be interesting because the same people I think that were, you know, clamoring for an earlier season are be clamoring for a later season. So you can't please everybody, but as somebody who likes to shoot mallards, I prefer a little bit later season myself. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a very historical and tip, typical setup. We've seen this, play out you know just like this year many many times where uh where you know you, you have a lull where there's just not that many ducks and they don't really have to do a lot because it's kind of warm but the cool thing about it is that any little bitty north or west anything and that they'll they'll move and they'll come and uh and you still got a lot of them to come so you know i kind of like the early season because uh you're kind of always in the chips, you know, it gets later and, and those ducks may have been here for quite a while and they're on a pattern that's kept them alive. And if you're not part of that pattern, you probably aren't going to kill very much. And so, you know, I think the, the playing field's a little more level early in the season and you just got, you know, if you see a flock, you, you got a chance at, at getting it. And, uh, but, you know, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. It just depends on whatever hand mother nature deals you on any given year. And you got 60 days in your zone to go enjoy it and make the most of the days you can go. Yep, that's for sure. It uh, It's definitely to each their own because, you know, 
there's a there's a lot of people that really really enjoy going out on an opening morning and shooting a pile of teal and wood ducks and stuff and you know that there's something to be said for that too um this year it's just so damn dry you know it's just been so tough for anybody to get out um and get much done if you don't have a good water source which i would say at least 70 percent of people here in our area don't have um a really reliable water source hell it seems like the conservation department doesn't have very reliable water source well, this year either that's a question that we got asked too what the hell's going on with the water on the public ground um and i know there's a lot to that but what in what in the hell i mean the public idea and you know the the joe blow general duck hunter which i'm a part of my idea and everyone else's idea is what in the hell are we supporting these public duck hunting areas and spending millions and millions of dollars if we don't even have water to hunt for these public guys. I mean, it, it really, I know there's different reasons, but I tell you what, it's a bunch of, uh, it's a bunch of, it's a real kick in the gut for people that, that are planning on hunting public. I just, it's just pitiful. Trickle down Bidenomics. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with that, but it's just like, <laughs> I, well, no, I mean, I, I mean, we can blame. Thanks, Obama. Let's get that out there. But, but <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's crazy to me. I mean, look at this stuff and how much money's being pumped in here. And you know, a lot of those guys when they're buying their duck stamp, I, I'm not one of these people uh, because of good fortune I've had in finding spots and and work and stuff. But a lot of people when they buy their duck stamp, and when they're going out and stimulating the waterfowl economy, buying guns and decoys and calls and stuff. Every purchase they make, they're basing on hunting a public walk-in spot. And, you know, they pay their taxes so that they have that opportunity. And when they're showing up 100 parties deep to one of these draw areas and they're hunting eight spots, that's really not acceptable. Well, you know, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, and I'm definitely supportive of our conservation department, so I'm not looking to badmouth them. I'm not on the hate mdc bandwagon by any means uh, um but i do think that uh there is and and i'm not going to name any names but this is coming from people within the department you know there's there's a large push for more public use not more public hunting but more bi bicyclists and more bird watchers and more whatever the case may be i'm sure an eighth of their you know scent uh is going to the general uh the general fund for mdc um but they're not you know an end user that's buying duck stamps and and uh contributing to conservation in other ways generally i'm sure some of those people contribute to you know Audubon Society or Nature Conservancy or whatever, but you know it is a shame that there's a lot of places you can go bicycle. There's not very many places that you can go duck hunt. So if you've got you know a managed wetland area like Fountain Grove or Ten Mile Pond or Shallow Sage or name any of them, and you know we've got these grandiose plans for uh, for a huge large-scale improvement project and and it just never happens uh man that is frustrating i mean you know if we implemented a strategy like that at habitat flats and we said oh it was too wet this year oh you know i mean it was inconvenient oh we had some staffing issues or whatever 
Well, heck, we wouldn't have to worry about, about it very long because we'd be bankrupt. So well, we'd be out of business. Well, our government is. Uh, our government yeah. is. The difference is if Habitat Platt was the government, they have the, they have the wallets of the customers and they take a certain amount out no matter what. And that, you know, that's what, what really aggravates me is if Habitat Flat, if I have a hunt book that Habitat Flats and, and there's no water and I say, okay, I either want my money back boys, or I'm not, I'm not paying or whatever. I'm not coming. Well, we've got, the public has hunts booked at Fountain Grove and Grand Pass and the walk-in on Swan and Shell Osage and, um, and BK Leach and all these places. We booked our hunt and we paid our taxes. So, um, Time, time to get some damn water on these places. And I, I know, and I know there's a lot of government red tape. I know there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through. And I'm not saying that any one person at any of these areas has the ability to just go rough shot and rogue and do whatever they want. I would probably try that if I worked there and I probably wouldn't have a job long. So I, I, I understand that. But we talked about the other day, if a private landowner, if Joe Weimer can, can haul diesel back in an 80 gallon tank in the back of a Ranger to a pump that's across a Creek and a mile back in there in the mud, if I can do that and get some water rolling, you can't tell me with all the, the uh, resources that our government has that they can't do something. I mean, just that, well, boys, under construction, closed for the season. I mean, that, that just- down. That doesn't work. I mean, I mean, I wonder, you know, when your all's pump station goes down, I can say this from experience, whenever Aaron and Iris pump stations go down or they need to put a new one in, they might call and say, hey, bring some waders. We're putting a new creek pump in. And yeah, you know what? You're sliding down the bank. It sucks. It's dangerous, death-defying task. But you you get it in, and in a matter of an hour and a half, you're in, and there's 1,200, 1,300 gallons a minute blowing out the other side, and it's over with. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't feel like there's that many um, options being exhausted at some of these areas. And I just – it's aggravating because, because it's just – that's, you know, vital to the longevity, longevity of our sport and our supporters and all that is having these public areas. And, and let's be honest, vital to everyone's success that hunts in this area, whether you're on the area or not. And people have invested a bunch of money outside the area on farms based on what their tax dollars are going to support on the areas. And it's just, it's really aggravating, but, but I'm not that worried about private land guys with the money to buy their own spots. I'm, I'm worried about guys that you know, they're off on a weekend. They want to take their kids out to Grand Pass. I'm just saying, for instance, Grand Pass or Shell Osage or Four Rivers. And they're like, yeah, boys, uh, opportunistic hunting, no water. Uh, good luck, guys. It's like, you know, what, what, what the hell's going on here? I got a solution. Um, you know, uh, we built that tower over at the kennel, built that tower stand over at the kennel, and we're throwing all those pheasants up, and guys are shooting the heck at them, just having a great time, laughing. Um, they could just buy two towers for each MDC area and people could just show up and shoot a bunch of chickens that are thrown out the top. Well, the way the, the way those hunts at Habitat Flats Kennels look with the tower shoot, they look like that even if there was 100,000 ducks on all the areas and a 4-0 four, four bird per hunter average, there might be some people that would rather do that anyways. Yeah. That looked fun. Did I tell you about the uh, the harvest rate? Yeah, but but tell the tell the listeners. So people had told feel better about your shooting. People had told me historically, you know, like all over that the the average uh, kill rate on those tower shoots was like twenty five percent, and I was like, "There's no way it's got to be higher than that." So we had one the other day, and I asked Tony how many they had shot, and uh, it was just a just a hair under 
25%. So blew my mind on 200 birds, 45, a little less than 50. (laughs) Well, boys, uh, that's a lot of shooting and a lot of flapping, (laughs) a lot of gliding. So, so tell, Hey, about this way, 600 shells, right? Well, thanks to whoever, whoever, whatever brand those shells were had a good day. Uh, (laughs) So, so tell us that then um, on the, obviously everybody's knows that's listening here probably knows that Habitat Flats is a waterfowl lodge, but um, you know, with that kennel property that you guys got hand in hand on that 220 acres, a lot of people might not know how well it's set up for Upland. Uh, and I don't mean just, Hey, we've got 220 acres. I mean, the, the, I, I'll speak on this part of it cause I've seen it all summer. And then Ira can tell you a little bit about the setup, but um, I mean, food plots, you know, out of this world, Milo millet, corn, um, a bunch of different types of big, tall sunflowers, wheats, um, all sorts of kinds of millet. Uh, I didn't even know there was that many kinds, but, but basically when you show up, cause I've been a customer there, um, on a, on a hunt. And basically when you show up, you roll up to the lodge for the, for the upland hunt. And I'm talking a kick and shoot type hunt. And, uh, it was incredible how realistic it was. And, and I, I couldn't actually couldn't believe it. We got into several kind of lost broke up coveys that had come back and we had a we had a great hunt but tell us ira a little bit about the what's going on at the kennel grounds as far as through habitat flats with the shooting sports side of things for add-ons for the hunters yeah this year so we we've had the kick and shoot deal but we wanted to add on oh some more options for guys uh as far as things that they could shoot there especially if it's outside of waterfowl season you know so you weren't just doing the kick and shoots we we Built a five stand, uh, had Promatic come and set it all up and install it. And I haven't shot it yet, but I heard it's just excellent. Um, we've had a lot of compliments on it. And then we also uh, have been wanting to do a tower shoot. So we we, uh, we got one of those set up. It's a really cool spot. It's kind of a high point where it's surrounded by trees with an opening in the middle. And uh, for those of you guys that haven't done a tower shoot before you have different stands all around you know the the uh where where you throw the birds out and they're usually about 125 yards or so from the the tower and you throw them out and they fly up to clear these trees and they level off and take screaming off you know and and uh so it's it's it can be very challenging shooting depending on you know the wind and and all that stuff and uh but then you know obviously we have our kennel there as well so as a side perk that's a huge bonus you know that's a whole lot of great experience for young gun dogs and all that stuff to you know be around guns and banging and and marking and and you know getting used to some crippled birds i mean you know we do that every day in a more controlled setting uh it's just a little bit wilder and a whole lot more uh, a whole lot more stuff going on. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, it's just great experience for a young gun dog, even an older gun dog. So, so basically though, how, how does it look though? If you want to, if I'm hunting at Habitat Flats and, and I'm trying to think about, you know, planning a trip or if I got a trip planned, you know, let's say the hunt's decent in the morning and we shoot our ducks in the morning. What does that look like then after that? Uh, how does that, how does that kind of go? Well, I think, you know, the the five stand and the kick and shoot doesn't really have to be organized. It can just be spur of the moment and go. I mean, it's better if we can be organized and have a book, but the tower shoots takes some organization. So, you know, 
got to have minimum 10 guys and a max of 20. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it takes, you know, you got to get a group together. You kind of have to plan it, kind of have to make sure we have it staffed and all that stuff. So, you know, and then it doesn't have to be in conjunction with waterfowl hunt. Um, you know, our plan is to have all that stuff be available uh, to the public outside, you know, as an a la carte package outside of waterfowl season as well. Cool. Well, I know that that's a cool property. I know that it's a, it's a big property uh, when it's 220 acres that, that has a lot of, a lot of uh, undulation and, and the topography is really varied and there's a lot of water and there's a lot of brush and there's a lot of, it just, I don't know, it just, it's a, it's a big 220. That's a cool spot. Um, so one, one thing I guess I'm going to say is, and I'm, I'm going to stop beating the source of this, but if you, I mean, there's been more people say stuff to me about this water issue that we're dealing with on these public areas than anywhere. I mean, I, I don't know what to say other than I know that, that myself and, and uh, another individual or two that, that are concerned about a few different other areas are, have, uh, have reached out. And I, I would just say complaining, complaining to your buddies doesn't do too much good. I, I don't know if it does any good to go to the source, but I feel like at least that's something they got to record and at least take note of. I mean, I would say, you know, bitching about it at home doesn't do nearly as good as reaching out to somebody and trying to find out what's going on and asking for some answers. Well, I do know one thing for sure, uh, you know, and, and you're talking about people with, with all the, uh, all the letters and, and educational credits behind their names to back up their, uh, you know, back up their position with, with MDC, um, versus a bunch of rednecks that do things, uh, a multitude of different ways, but, you know, there's definitely more than one way to, to skin a cat and get water and uh shoot man like like we were talking about the other day you know if you if you implemented our creek pumps uh set up and a power station and had multiple different units pumping out of a, a reliable water source like the grand or the missouri or you know those age or whatever uh you don't have to have all your eggs in one friggin $10 million pump station and you'd always have some water. So even if something went down on one or even two, or let's say something catastrophic three and you had 20 of them, well, you'd, you'd still have most of your pumping capacity. And like we do that at our place where we have the option of putting in, let's just say a 15 inch tube for drainage or filling or four six inch tubes well i'd rather have the four six inch tubes because if the beavers plug the 15 inch or i'm out of commission if i can't get out of there i dig the whole thing out if they plug up one of my six inches well i mean i'm still in the game and so you know a lot of the time when we're looking at ways to move water or pump water or whatever i don't want to have one big anything i want to have multiple small things so that if something does go wrong I, i'm still operational well, and another thing is, uh, I know the philosophy for MDC supposedly behind these huge, gigantic millions of dollars pump station is, you know, it just, it makes it simple. It's more volume. It's all quicker. I think that we've got a big enough serving size and sample size to know that that that's great in theory, but that don't work. That does not work. So having multiple ones, at least give yourself a chance, but I would go in so far as to say that if they do get those things set up, let's say they set up extra Creek pumps, like what you're talking about. 
I know what $10 million is and I know what two or $300,000 is. I know the difference and it's a lot. You can afford 40 or 50 or $60,000 a year to have a pump technician on site. And that's their full-time job, making sure there's water on the place. Because it doesn't matter how good the corn is, how good the moist soil is, how good the infrastructure is and all the other stuff, how clean the draw room is. If you don't have any water, that's, that's not acceptable. And I'll, one more thing I'll say is these places that are largely, I mean, the whole point of these managed waterfowl areas though on the waterfowl side is to provide public opportunity. There ought to be a backup diesel option at every one of these places too. And I think that, I think that the John Q taxpayer would be fine with um, allocating some more of our tax monies to those kind of fail safes and fallback plans, because clearly what we got going on right now, um, there's something wrong all the time. I know Josh ditch where he hunts at down there at, at four, I guess that shell is where he's at all the time. Well, yeah, they're in four rivers. They, have, they have just been screwed up there for four years. Oh yeah. Well, same thing found Grove. We've just been lucky and had floods, you know? Right. So, I mean, it's, if it hadn't flooded, we wouldn't have had, we would have been in the same position we're in this year. And, you know, we've got this, I mean, I'm not going to, I am not going to go too deep into this, but we've got the Fountain Grove, no water on Fountain Grove, no water on, or, you know, virtually no water, no water on some of our other walk-in public areas. And then, and then the federal refuge that's got these uh, hunter, the walk-in hunter program, you know, the, the draw hunter programs and all that, there's no water on it uh, due to a few issues and perhaps some mismanagement and things like that. So if I'm a public hunter, I'm irate right now because, you know, we've got, just a calamity of errors that have caused us to have nowhere to hunt as a public hunter. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's dry this year. That's for sure. But I don't know. It just, uh, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of smoke and there's a lot of people with uh, a burr in their pants. And, and I can't say, I can't say I blame them. Um, you know, I know things happen and it's easy to blame. It's always wet, but I don't know. We always figure out a way to make it work on the private side. I mean, and it may cost a lot more money and a lot more effort, but we're going to get it done. Their, their budget's a lot bigger than ours is. Guarantee you. So, all right, I'm my blood pressure's up. I'm going to need to see a, a <laughs> doctor rather than a vet here soon. So I'm going to, I'm going to back off. Um, if you have any question about that, you can hit us up on it. I'll tell you anything I know about it. But uh, uh, the other question we had is um, how, how do the farms look? And I've asked both of us, you can, you can go second because I don't have much to report on mine. You know, we bought that new farm. Uh, it'd been mismanaged for you know, mismanaged. Just nothing been done with it. You know, the guys were, were older guys and um, the, the one gentleman who hunted quite a bit, you know, there's only so much you can get, get done one guy by yourself with, with minimal, minimal equipment. So we went in, we put in a new hole. We've, we've improved the infrastructure a couple places and some water control and, and we've had a lot of pump issues. It's been super dry, but, we're gaining. We're in a good spot there. There's not many ducks around, but but uh, that farm has has picked. Definitely looks better, um, and it's looking better every day. So um, I'm excited that when we do get some ducks here, we'll kill some. I think the first blood on the new farm was abandoned uh, abandoned wood duck this year. So we're we're trending in the right direction. But uh, it's a project. It's going to be about a. It'll be a five year project to get it anywhere close to how I want it. But um, timber holes on it look good, and I think we'll I think we'll kill a few. Uh, yeah, Locust, Locust, Locust Grove and Locust Branch look awesome. Um, I mean, we actually had pretty dang good water. Locust Grove's got a bunch of water. And, uh, but golly, we just don't have any ducks there. 
which is unusual. I mean, usually when you when we have water early, we're normally full up, but uh, but we're really not. The ducks that I've seen around, you know, before all the banging started, they were kind of in the sheet water in the ag fields, which isn't really surprising. They love that. And uh, then, of course, guns start going off. And normally they come straight to our south end and go to the, you know, Fountain Grove's refuge. And I, I think this year they just left. I, I don't know. I mean, we've been killing some. Uh, but it's not because they're living on us like they normally are. So it'll all change. But for right now, we are pretty good on water and very, very short on ducks. When you roll up, when you roll up to a uh, to a town on a road trip, and there's no hotel and there's no restaurant, unless you want to sleep in the truck, you're gonna blow on through. Yeah, I'm assuming these yeah. boys don't want to sleep in the truck. Um, nope. It's it's interesting. It seems like it seems like Locust Grove. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm not. I don't know on Locust Grove side that you did any gigantic pro- projects this year on the actual Locust Grove farm, but it seems like there was all sorts of extra maintenance that kept kept everybody busy. You know, or all sorts of routine maintenance and new maintenance that kept people busy, kind of improving the farm. Well, you know, we really worked on our our pumping. Uh, infrastructure this year so put in you know moved moved a power station uh to a different spot on the creek which is good we did because the creek's been so low um and we added two new creek pumps this year so you know last year we had some creek pumps that were down man thank goodness we got a flood we just really hadn't needed like all the horsepower like we did this year and man we fired all those suckers up we went from dry to a lot of water in about four days. So, you know, it's, it was super impressive. Heck, we let them run for like four days and I cut four of the six of them off. Wait. Right. One, two, no, no, we have five of them. So I cut uh, three, of them. three of the, three of the five off. And then I shut the other one off two days later. Um, but, just Cause you know, we have, we have water. It's just no matter how good you have it set up on a duck hunting property. And that, you know, with electric is, is a great setup, but you know, no matter how good you have it, there's always shit that's going on, it seems like. I mean, I remember, you know, you got you and Aaron both left. Um, everything was looking good. And I was up there at the farm, and I was like, man, I'm going to run up to Locust Grove, see what it looks like. Got up there, no pumps running. Like, what the F is going on here? So I called Aaron. He's like, oh, no, man, we left them all on. They're all on. I'm like, no, they're not. And I looked on Facebook, and somebody had put something about Sumner had a had a, a power, the lights were flickering and went off and then came back on, electric was off and on. Well, I'm not, you know, it's not like I was wanting to pat on the back, but I just happened to drive up there. And if I wouldn't have, it might've been three, four days before the water would have got back on. Um, I mean, it's just, you can lose a lot of progress on a dry year in three, four days. I mean, it's just like down at, down at our farm. I mean, you know, friggin' disaster with the pump, I had to pull it, get a new one. If you wouldn't have been back there, you wouldn't have known. It's just, you can't just turn it on and forget it. I don't care if you have electric or not. I mean, it's just, there's just always stuff that goes wrong, no matter how good you have it set up, it seems like. Aaron just had to replace one of the motors uh, sometime here in the last day or two. The, the one that was stuck in that log down there, it finally quit working. So we had, he had to chop it off and then uh, uh, put another one on float there. I've been swimming in Locust Creek around that farm at least 10 times in, in duck season and, and, you know, cold times uh so it's not like putting these creek pumps in is a 
is a just an easy thing, but damn, it's efficient when they work. And that new system that you guys have really seems like it. It, it really seems like a, it, it's got some positives to it with the float and all that stuff on it. Um, I don't know. I gotta you- say, hey, I gotta say, I was negative Nancy on the float side. I was like, this isn't gonna work. This is so dumb, blah blah blah. But it really has. Uh, it really works. It works good. Works a whole lot better than the old system where you were trying to get those cages up in and out of there and you know trees and everything else it's it's better you think you're a tough son bitch i promise you get in the creek and try to wrestle one of them things out by yourself when there's something like that i i mean i you know getting one of them out you feel like you just fought a battle with you know a a seven nation army because i remember it's it's unbelievable when you need to get them out, the banks are slippery, and you know it's because you're getting ready to have a flood or whatever. And so, man, it's just uh, guaranteed. And the the netting and the wire mesh netting or whatever, you're guaranteed to tear waders, hands, feet, legs. It was it was rough, but definitely seems like a, a work in progress. I just can't even believe I was there when we put the first one in. Uh, what the hell did you do before that? I mean, you think just thinking out loud. I guess you just relied on the wells that you had. Yeah. That were, yeah, that was it. Great for a flood. Okay, so that's another question I've heard people ask before. Why are you all doing all these creek pumps? Why don't you put wells in? You guys have wells. Explain that. Well, well, just, you know, our, maybe, you know, there's there's parts of the country where water flows well through the ground. Our, our area is not one of those places. So our soil type is such that our flows aren't real, real high. So, you know, if you put in a 16 inch casing and a six inch well um even if you start off let's say it's a great one and you're getting a thousand gallons a minute year one or two wells have lifespan and it's it's like a it's like a lifetime warranty on a mattress okay well that sounds great when you buy it but then you know then when you need to cash it in and you're you know 10 years in they're like oh yeah we've already prorated out 79% 79% of the warranty, all you got left is 21%. And uh, that's kind of how well is, you know, they just, they, they don't put out the same amount of water forever. And, and especially if you are in a, a soil type like we are, you know, I'd say our average well in our area produces about 500 gallons a minute. And uh, if it's dry, it'll start to surge. And then maybe you're getting like 250 gallons a minute. And, uh, you're still using the same amount of electricity that you are in a creek pump. So with a creek pump, you know you're going to get 250 gallons a minute, or you know it varies a little bit depending on what size motor you have on there. But you know a 15 horse motor in one of those deals, you're going to get 1,250 gallons a minute. That's it. You know leaves might slow you down if you have back flush for a while, but uh, so when you look at your bill you just get a lot more bang for your buck out of a high flow system than you do out of a low flow system. That's basically what it boils down to. Only, only problem being if it is a dry year and you have a couple pumps running it. I drove over Locust Creek. It was literally dry. You guys had it dry. (laughs) It's there's not much water. No, there isn't. But no, those, I feel like those Creek pumps have definitely been the biggest tool as far as allowing you all to be able to do the management that you need to do without holding a bunch of unnecessary water. It's it's crazy how fast that place can go to completely dry to huntable with those pumps. Yeah, you know, and I don't know. I I, I don't, as far as I know, that was just a dreamt up deal that uh, I've never seen. I don't know. If anyone, 
I don't know of anyone that ever done that before, but, uh, and we've learned a bunch about it over time by stumble around, error, mainly. stumble around and fall down the bank enough times, bust off enough pipes and, and stick T posts up and ratchet straps. You might realize why no one's ever done one, but they do. Work. Remember that better barnwood board we laid our pipe on because yeah. the whole bank got washed away when the, when the tube cracked. If anyone follows me on Instagram, back whenever Ira was propping shit up with a stick and 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 beating on the stuff with a hammer and and chainsaw and stuff with swimming trunks on and all that, that was a creek pump debacle. Uh, there's been a bunch of them. I've also seen them drive in T posts with a uh, a two inch a two inch ball uh, hitch. So that's always another good tool. But and then and then the best part is I'll tell you this: everybody's this way. Like when you get a tool. Like, you know, like if I get a tool, I don't have a lot of tools. So if I get a tool, I damn sure want to use it. Like if I get a skid steer, I want to use it to brush my teeth with. Like, you know, it's like, well, I got this tool. I can do this. Ira is terrible about that. And there's the last thing he had was that grinder, which is a nice tool. But he was like, yeah, this these grinders are badass. I'm like, yeah, for sure. So he used it for like two or three things that a grinder ought to be used for. Yeah. And then when we didn't know what was going on with the pump, he I looked down and he had the pump out. And I don't even know if I'm using the right terminology, but the splines that that fit in to turn the pump, he was he was routering them out with the grinder. And at that point, I was like, well, probably probably stepping a bit beyond our our means here. But uh, hey, it worked. Yeah. It worked. I I I don't think that pump is still in operation. <laughs> well, it worked, baby. <laughs> it worked for a few minutes. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean. Uh, uh, lightning will work to warm you up too, but it doesn't mean it's sustainable, bud. Uh, I think it's still in there. Yeah, Aaron, I have to get Aaron on here. Um, okay, so what's the what's the outlook? Like, what's your outlook now? Like, so we're sitting here. We haven't been a weekend of duck season, but we're not far from it, and it's been pretty much shit. The the hunting's been bad. Uh, we're waiting on a front. What do you see here coming down the pipe? To make you feel? I mean, you're going to hunt regardless. So am I if I ever get a deer killed, but. Uh, what what is your not this week? I'm working this week. <laughs> it's a tough life. Bahamas, duck blind work, and I guarantee you'll be back to duck blind before too long. But yes, what do you think? What do you think going down? I mean, what do you think's coming down the pipe here? I'm looking at my forecast right now. I mean, still don't look like it's getting a big Arctic blast anytime soon. Well, I mean, it looks like it's setting up for your typical. Veterans Day migration event. I mean, you know, they're talking about big front coming in here, tenth, eleventh, right in there. I say big front, something. The time of the year is right there. There's going to be ducks that'll migrate on it. You can take that to the bank. Things will change on the tenth or eleventh of November. Yep, I'd agree with that. Seems like the, it seems like there always is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. Um, but other than that, I'm looking and it's, you know, like Saturday, 40, low 41, high of 60. That's going to feel like you need a damn snowsuit on with as warm as it's been today. It's high, low of 56, high of 80. Tomorrow, high of Saturday, the – you're talking about next Saturday or this Saturday? This Saturday. Oh, yeah. No. Next Saturday is low of 32. That'll be nice. High of 44, 40, I think 48 maybe, but – that's what I'm talking about right there. You know, that 10th, 11th, 12th, it could be some shakeout. We're supposed to get a rain event uh, tomorrow. So we'll see. Hey, I mean, what are you going to do on the 12th, first big migration day? You going to be wearing a pumpkin suit or are you going to be duck hunting? I'll be deer hunting. But unless I, I mean, 
if I shoot one of these deer that I'd like to shoot, I'll be I'll be duck hunting. But I'll, I will. You've seen me do it. Don't, don't bet against me deer hunting and during duck season. I've seen me do it. Uh, well, that one big one you got is probably worth messing a duck hunt or two for. Yeah, I would say. Uh, okay, hey, before we end this though, and we got I know we got two guys that we want to get on here that we've had a night a scheduling nightmare with, but um, let's let's do let's do this before we get off here. Uh, Jeff Sharan, who's somebody, you know, uh, I'm just ad-libbing here, but I feel like kind of helped you get started with a lot of things or, you know, helped you get started with a couple of things and a place to hunt and, um, and introduced you to this area and was probably uh, integral in, in uh, you getting Locust Grove, I, I think, was he not? All the above. Yeah. So, so just a good dude who is super smart and uh, super matter of fact about what he knows. And it's a lot. He's, like I would call Jeff a know-it-all, but not like he's not being a know-it-all. I'm just saying like he does know it all. Like you could literally bring up finance, business, duck hunting, conservation, freaking a stamp collection, a uh, persimmon tree, a uh, quail whistle, a duck decoy, anything, uh, anything. And the dude would be like, oh, as a matter of fact, I do know about that. And he would teach you a lot about it. But what I wanted to do was uh, I really respect what he's done. And I don't know if you saw Ira, but I'm assuming that you did. But uh, I just kind of wanted to give him a shout out for the Ducks Unlimited Award that he got. Yeah, it's awesome, man. He's deserving for sure. He's he's one of those guys that's just always looking to help, man. He's a he's someone we should all uh, you know look up to and and uh, look at our lives and try to be a little more like Jeff in a lot of ways. That's for how, sure. How, how old is Jeff? I think Jeff's like 84 now. So I'm reading. So if you guys, if you guys want to check uh, stuff that Jeff does out, he's got a property up here in Missouri, not that really that far from us, but he also, it's a really cool place um, that he is a labor of love, puts a lot of work into. Well, he's got several properties. He owns a bunch of ground, but he's done a really cool stuff in his life, but he's, he's now enjoying his properties and in, in Missouri. And uh, if you follow his page, the bottoms on Facebook, it's a, uh, it's his farm at home, but then he also goes over all of his duck camp. He's got a duck camp in Arkansas and he'll give reports there. And then he does these bucket list hunts. He's also an author and he writes books and he does these, these uh, bucket list hunts and they're really cool to follow along with. So if you guys have Facebook and if you don't, you should get it just, just to look at it because uh, he goes on some really cool hunts. I know he's already been out to Nebraska this year. I think he's been to Kansas. I know he did he went to the bottoms. He's been up to Waterhen Lodge, and is that in Manitoba? Yeah. So he's a cool dude, but um, I wanted to shout out because he he got this award from Ducks Unlimited, what looked to me like like a lifetime achievement donation sponsorship award. It says, my recent contribution to Ducks Unlimited took me over the next recognition level, hunting in Nebraska with DU Director of Development, Sean Hagen. Uh, he was thoughtful enough to bring along my plaque and surprise me by presenting it to me on the sandbar of the Missouri River. Pretty cool. So it says uh, Ducks Unlimited Benefactors Hall of Honor recognizing and the contributions of Ducks Unlimited conservation programs to Jeff and Janet Sharan. So anyways, didn't want to bore you all with that, but it's not boring when you think about all all the work that somebody's done and all the ducks that he's impacted in his life. We need to have him on here. Yeah, we do. We need to have him we'll over. Duck season. We need to have him over to your house, Ira, whenever you're yeah. up and then, and then we can do it. But um, anyways, if you guys, if you guys see Jeff, if you know him, tell him congrats. And if you don't know him, follow along on the bottoms on Facebook. It's really interesting, but, um, we just kind of wanted to bring you guys up to speed what we've been doing. 
uh, I've been working in deer hunting. Ira's been working duck hunting, a little bit of deer hunting. I don't call it deer hunting. We didn't talk about we didn't talk about the elk hunt. Quasi deer hunting. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, before we get off here, do fill him in on the elk hunt. So he went he went on the elk hunt. He put the crossbow down, got a real bow, and went on a went on an elk hunt out in Colorado. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about that. Oh man, it was awesome. You know, I'd always wanted to do to, to bow hunt during the rut or whatever you call it for elk. And, uh, so this year I finally committed to doing it. So, you know, I had to get in shape. So I went up and down my hill here at my house with backpack on with like 30 or 40 pounds in it and did that over and over and over and over again, listen to my macroeconomic podcasts. And then, uh, so I went after Hunt, what? the elk hunt cost ira x amount on the elk hunt and four hundred eighty-two thousand dollars in penny stocks on the stock market during his- <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. so then uh we went out there to southern colorado and uh man it was so cool it really was uh first day was real foggy and our range finders wouldn't wouldn't work so you know i mean golly you don't want to have a faulty rangefinder and, and make a bad shot and be done. So didn't draw back on the first day. Second day had one got to watch come for like 350 yards, bugling and tearing up trees and glunking and all that. Shot at it, you know, 30 yards. It was it was awesome. It was incredible. Um and you know the bow thing, uh that was kind of interesting. Just I hadn't I hadn't shot a bow for a long time and shot and shot and they wanted us to use fixed blade broadheads. And man, I just couldn't get my broadheads to fly right. And finally, literally two days before I left, the guy at the archery shop gave me four arrows that were a little more flexible. And he said, try these. And man, they just flew straight as an arrow, pardon the pun. And uh, so I went out there with four hunting arrows and luckily I only needed one. I'm sure it had to be amazing to go from the crossbow and the cross cannon cop out way of grown man's hunting to actually bow hunting something on the biggest stage. And then you propelled the fervor and passion gained on the prep for that hunt into hunting in some sort of bullshit cloth blind with a crossbow in your yard last night. I saw it's Rhino 180, man. Uh, but yeah, the you know the truth of the crossbow thing is I've never pulled the trigger on my crossbow ever. So I might as well be out there with an arrowhead and, and a stick I, and throwing it by hand. And I hope you don't because I've made some modifications to it. I, I haven't done anything to Iris, but one year I was on a whitetail committee, a whitetail unlimited committee. A friend of mine, Kale McEvans, and I were on it, which the two of us were on a crusade against crossbows. Um, it's just, I just, I'm not going to debate. I just, you can't change my mind. Able-bodied people don't need to be using crossbows. If you're listening, that causes you to quit listening. I, I completely understand. Um, but we put together, there was a, one of the prizes was a crossbow and like, you, you know, you, and I apologize to anybody who put their money in. If you bought it, then I'll pay your medical bills. But by the time we got done putting that crossbow together, we had a tackle box worth full of nuts, screws, and bolts left. So I hope whoever got that didn't shoot it because the only thing killing a deer with that would have been the shrapnel coming off that thing when it blew up. So um, I sure hope you didn't get that crossbow. Good God. Sorry, boys. So you're so mechanically uninclined. It wouldn't have mattered if you tried your best and didn't have anything like that. It would have been in the wrong spots. I didn't say we 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 sabotaged it on purpose. I'm just saying we put it together, and I was happy with the results for once. <laughs> uh, well, uh, 
I would like to try an elk hunt someday. I, I, I can't be getting into it right now because one, I don't have the money to go. And two, I'm too ate up with everything else. And so I'm going to have to pick my addictions. So, but, I, but it sounds to me like it's something that you would recommend somebody trying. Absolutely. But until then, uh, I recommend you catch woodcock fever. It's cheap and they're around. Yeah. Boy, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to hop off here and run out the door, try to find some. Uh, we appreciate you all listening. We'll tune in next time with a guest and, uh, everybody good luck. If you're getting out there hunting, we appreciate it. Have a good day. My dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little, we called it the mouse mahal. I mean, it was just a little rundown shack. I'm kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over. Because- <laughs>